Hello and welcome to Speaking Out, Mental Health and Football. On today's episode, we'll be speaking to Rahul Lakera. My name is Rahul Lakera. Um, I'm a team assistant first team doctor in uh, uh, professional football. Prior to that, uh, I also worked with uh, a rugby league team as well. So I've been a uh, sport for five years um, and I'm a GP also uh, by trade. Awesome. Um, how long have you actually been working in professional sport? Uh, five years. Five so, years yeah, it's my fourth year in football. Prior to that, I did one year in rugby league. Okay. Um, how did you come to get involved? Uh, nepotism, really. <laughs> um, my well, I'm I, I was a GP. I was doing a sports and exercise medicine diploma, um, and my uh, father-in-law worked with the rugby league team. So I ended up uh, saying, "Can I shadow some games?" Within two weeks, that came to me becoming assistant first team doctor, and then a week later, I was first team doctor because everyone just jumped ship basically, and I sort of dived in. And uh, then from that, I again replied to an email for work to cover a football team, and then they said, you know, they liked the way I worked, and they said, do you want to come and you know help us as well? So yeah, there's you do apply for jobs in sport, but a lot of it is sometimes so you know it's a bit old fashioned in that way. Okay, so just kind of responded to it and then there you yeah, are. I think in life you've just got to put yourself forward for a lot of things anyway and then you know if you put yourself out there hopefully it'll come off and it did in my case so. <laughs> that's fair enough yeah. um, so I'm just going to start getting into it now but that's alright um, yeah of course is, is mental health something that you come across on a regular basis or? a lot in GP I would say less so in sport but it is more prevalent than people think um, so when you say less prevalent in sports, I mean it's just not discussed as much, or just an issue that um, doesn't prop up as much. I think a bit of both. I think it's not discussed at all, uh, and I, I mean at all. I don't think it's really discussed much at all. Uh, and then um, I think as a population, it's young, healthy men or women. They tend to maybe mirror that section of society. In, in general practice although maybe they're a bit more happy with their lot because there's you know they're, they're playing sport and getting paid for it so I'd say it's, le- it's generally less prevalent Fair enough um, so With regards to young footballers it's an issue I've talked about with some people when they're in that situation and they're kind of I don't know say 14 or 15 and that's, that's what they want to do there's a lot of pressure on them kind of intrinsically and maybe they feel a bit extrinsically um, to, to succeed and to get to where they want to be so do you think that is a contributing factor to mental health issues like anxiety and that, and that kind of thing yeah it's definitely multifactorial um, parents are big drivers they you know I think I don't think any parent wants anything bad for their child but in my experience they all get a lot of them will get swept up in the process of trying to become an elite professional athlete and it takes a lot of um, sacrifice on their part they're constantly driving you know they're constantly thinking of their child but I think that can sometimes be offset with pressure to the individual and pressure to succeed because they think that's what their parents want pressure to succeed because they realize their parents have sacrificed a lot and so that's definite pressure and then there's coaching pressure there's pressure of perception, you know, of what they think is at stake. But unfortunately, the reality is, for every year cohort, 
of at a football club, maybe two players will get through to the first team level. So that's a lot. That's probably, I don't know, 12 who are by the wayside. So or maybe only one. So it, what's interesting is a lot don't make it. And what always fascinates me is I'm not sure if the players are aware of that or whether they are and they're just putting on a brave face and trying to be ultra positive because there's no real fallback plan for a lot of them. Uh, a lot of them don't think of what they'll do if it doesn't succeed or outside of football. Is that something that clubs work on with players, like having skills outside of you know, just football and that kind of thing? Because like you say, if only two in every 14, 15 are going to make it mm. to a decent level, mm. the rest of them need to do something else. Like, I think clubs will say they do, and they try. They do a diploma, um, but... It's, I don't really think it's worth an awful lot. Uh, again, this might be, this is something that uh, someone who's involved in the club would probably argue with strongly with me. But I don't think, from my outside, of the, you know, looking in, I don't think that diploma is worth an awful lot. It's like a BTEC diploma, so I don't think it really sets them up for anything in, in particular outside of sports. Um, they leave school at sixteen, so uh, they're very quickly taken out of a learning environment into this sort of high pressured. Uh, environment, so I, I think they can do more. Only a handful of clubs will offer A levels at GCSEs, and those are clubs that have schools on site, like Manchester City, Chelsea, um, but other areas don't. Right, it's part of that issue that at a certain point, when they get to that kind of age, they're either going to be with the club for a longer term, or they're not going to be with the club at all. So there's a kind of why would they invest in that if one they're either not going to be with the club or two they're going to be with the club but they won't need that qualification do you see what I mean though? yeah like that and it, it's a shame that they think so so binary but I don't know it just feels like maybe more needs to be done at an earlier level than that um, kind of preparing them for look you might make it more but prepare for something else um, I get what you're saying a BTEC diploma if you just have that, it's not going to get you that far. It's a kind of stepping stone to other things, isn't it? No, I think especially because I appreciate it's a useful diploma if maybe you're applying a trade regularly. But for them, they may well not play football again. I mean, yes, they will. They might play for a local side or a semi-pro. And then, you, I mean, I guess a lot of them will get into coaching then. But even then, it's not an easy environment. I don't think you have to get your badges. Where are the jobs available for coaching? How do you progress? Um... Do you want to move around the country to pursue this dream, which you do as a player? You know, it's very difficult. Um, so, yeah, I think more could be done. I'm, I'm, you'd have to speak to the club about it. I'm not. Sure, I'm not convinced. Much is talked about them not making it because I don't know whether that's seen as a negative attitude to the group. Um, I actually wonder sometimes whether mentioning that might actually boost some players on, give them that sort of grit that actually you know what I'm. it's going to be tough and I'm going to be one of those people who makes it instead of just a lot of people from my perception seem to just go along for the ride yeah um, just I wasn't, I wasn't going to ask about this but just picking up on something you mentioned there about kind of moving around the country and stuff as well football particularly and professional sport in general there's a lot of upheaval yeah. um, especially once you get below the kind of top level of sport people are working on one two year contracts temporary contract loans um people got mortgages that kind of thing it's clearly a high pressure situation for people who are playing for 
on a one-year contract when most people in a normal job would have yeah. more security than that. Um, that just brings up some issues, doesn't it? Surely that that is a contributing factor as well towards. I, I've never spoken to a player about it specifically, yeah. because the ones I deal with get reimbursed enough that I think they don't have to worry about that. Um, but yeah, it makes sense. I mean, moving house is one of the most stressful things you can do, and if you've just got to suddenly, you know, sell your house within three weeks so you can go and play elsewhere, yeah. I can't imagine that's a great three weeks of your life where you're trying to get all that stuff sorted. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I think it, it is one of those things in the background that probably is there. Um, so if, if a young player is released, let's say, I don't know, we you say they get released every year, don't they? Uh, every, every age group, but if they're released at a young age, is there any procedure in place from, I don't know, the governing bodies or from football clubs to help them with that transition out of football? Or... I think there is. Again, I'm not completely, I'm not massively up to, up to date on what goes on, but my impression is there might be a bursary. I think there might be a bursary if players want to um, fulfil other studies. Um, I imagine there is a sport network. They actually get quite well looked after in that way. Um, I don't know how many players are aware of it, but uh, I think there is a bursary, but you'd have to you'd have to check with yeah, uh, people you deal with it. Uh, it's just interesting <coughs> because that's one of the biggest issues that I've, I've kind of researched about is um, people being released at a young age and struggling to deal with. It. I think there was a, a stat that fifty percent of those released by football club under the age of seventeen subsequently suffer from some form of mental health issue associated with that. Whether it could just be anxiety, depression, because mm. I mean, if that's your lifelong dream and it's mm. dashed at 17, mm. that's years before most people lose their lifelong dreams. <laughs> most people make it to a yeah. much later age before realizing well, I'm not going to make that. Um, I mean, I, I think there are a number of issues with that. Um, I think what, well, I mean, this this might go around, you know, in roundabouts, but <coughs> I, I think there is, it's a very odd lifestyle. So it sounds very glamorous, but you're constantly training. Uh, it's going to be quite monotonous. Um, you're doing long away trips on coaches. You might get back late. You don't sleep well. You might be sleeping in hotels. If you're sleeping at home, you might come back at 2 a.m. because you're playing Swansea away. So, you know, your simple basics of wellness and well-being are, are compromised in terms of poor sleep, stress levels, upheaval lack of fulfilment with this monotonous lifestyle um, so I do think there's a lack of fulfilment in players of all ages let alone you know just the young where you're trying to work out what you're going to do in life and then I, I think as a generation the generations coming through because they're very much used to instant gratification with social media iPhones I mean I sound like I'm 40 I'm not um, but <laughs> there's that inability to get stuck in and really show some grit for a scenario and in reality for a lot of them even if they don't make it this is the defining moment in their lives where they will either go on to do something else they might become a fantastic personal trainer or a fantastic coach or but I'm not sure if many many young people and not just labeling this at footballers see it as a springboard I think they just see it as adverse they see it as just bad luck and I don't know what to do what do I do now and that's not talked about enough at school, it's not talked about enough in, in clubs, it's not talked about enough full stop. Um, so I, don't, I think there's this real inability to cope, yeah. if that sounds harsh. No, no, I um, that. So I think there are multiple things, you know, the inability to cope, a, a weird schedule, 
a monotony that people don't see on TV because you think, oh, you know, isn't it great? He scored a goal and he celebrated that goal. I mean, yes, that five-second period where he scored the goal, that's ecstasy. But prior to that, all the stuff I've had to do to get there, yeah. it's pretty monotonous, it's pretty boring. Um, you know, having to get up and train every day through, you know, sun, wind, rain, snow. Yeah, it's not as glamorous as people think. Oh, that's probably a fair point, I and... Mean... I think the point you just made there about not being able to cope is probably a fair one, and it's probably a societal one, like you say, so it's a wider issue. Mm. Um, I don't know really what the... I think you have to go back to kind of school level, like you say, and do more discussion about about that, especially when people are at kind of leaving school age, because that's around the kind of same kind of age that people will be breaking into either making it as a professional or, like yeah. you say, springboarding into something else. Um and alternative career paths aren't, I don't think, discussed enough, personally. Mm. Um, from my personal experience in school, it was kind of, oh, well, go to university, and the people that didn't want to go to university was a sort of, well, you can just go read in the library for an hour and yeah. talk about that. Yeah. And that's helping nobody in that situation. If they, one, don't have the grades to go to university, they need help to figure out what their next step is. Yeah. Or if for whatever reason they're deciding not to, you need to find out why mm. and what it is that they want to do. Um, so, I mean, what you've said there, a majority of footballers aren't very bookish. <clears throat> Only a handful of footballers will get good enough grades. Um, the ones that do, if they don't make it, we've had some who've gone over to America, so they'll get scholarships out there, they'll play, but they'll also get an education. I mean, there's uh, a group of players who are now going to the Bundesliga, aren't there? Yeah. Who are going because there's education out there. It's taken seriously. Whereas, uh, th- because the reason Germany take it seriously is because they believe smarter players will make better players. Um, so they, I mean, they're doing it for their own gain. But you can argue societally, I mean, that's going to give make them that person better equipped and qualified. We just don't have that setup in English sport, especially in English football. You know, you leave school at 16, you come and join a club, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to be the one who's going to make it. You know, there's no there's no doubt that, that in anyone's mind that they're not going to make it, but unfortunately a lot don't. Just something you picked up on there, and it's something that me and my dad have always kind of discussed. Um, in rugby league, a lot of people will go on while they're playing um, to go and study degrees, whether it's in sports science and that kind of thing. Mm. And all because rugby league, isn't the money isn't there the same way that the football is. If, yeah. Is, it's a regional sport really in, in this country and, and people have to find alternative careers afterwards um, but that's just a big difference isn't it from what we're saying there in between football like how many people would do a degree if they were a footballer playing at championship or premier league level like, at 25 exactly none I've not come across any I've come across lots of rugby league when I did rugby league in that one year there are academy players who had apprenticeships there were plumbers there were electricians they had a trade um there were, I mean, don't get me wrong, they also had a schooling system for the academy players as well, um, and they, they had dad trades. Um, I had uh, rugby league players who were doing sports science degrees, I had one doing an accountancy degree, um, So, and I think it's because they're in the money's not there. I mean, even listening to Jamie Roberts talk in one of the rugby union po- podcasts a few months ago, and rugby union players get a lot more money than rugby league players, he described the career as a sabbatical. It's a sabbatical in life. It's kind of like this 15-year period where it's this amazing sabbatical where you're going around the world playing, but it's not going to set you up for life. And I think football's made a rod for its own back with that because the riches are so great 
almost nothing else needs to be done or nothing else is perceived that needs to be done but in reality even guys who've got loads of money will have depression because they just haven't got that fulfilment you're kind of it feels soulless that's the only way I can describe it yeah I remember reading um, Secret Footballer who does the kind of Guardian articles and stuff Mm. and one of the things that really struck me is he said he would he would come home from training and there was a chair that he had sat by his his front door and he would get home from training and been to the gym and it would just be early afternoon if they'd done a morning session so it's 2 o'clock his his partner's out or whatever and he would just sit in this chair five he'd do nothing just stare at the door five, six hours just doing nothing because he didn't know what to do Mm. he was so unfulfilled with his schedule and his life he was just drained so much by it that he got into this horrendous depressive state that he just didn't tell anybody about and just spent his time doing literally nothing what do you think there is scope because in rugby league you said the money's not there in for the players for the clubs the money's just a lot smaller and yet they're willing to spend money on the education programs and make sure people have got jobs and spend the time kind of educating people that look you need to find a career and football despite having all this money and only a certain very small percentage of people making it to any decent level doesn't spend any money on educating people to get into no I, I think um Everyone's just striving to get in the Premiership. That's what everyone wants. That's what everyone's waiting for that um, jackpot. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of clubs, it doesn't happen. For a lot of players, it doesn't happen. Um, uh, it is hard to watch. I mean, I know rugby union's more of an educated sport because it's, it's generally played probably in you know schools, in private schools, things like that. Um, although rugby start, rugby union starting to have a, a varied background. But yeah, it's definitely it's been a sport of the elite in the past, as in some ways cricket has. Um, but a team like Saracens, for example, they will they see it as an active investment in the person, um, and they're probably alone, you know, in in their field. That's why players tend to not leave Saracens because I think they realise they're onto a good thing there. They're they're well looked after. Um, I don't know if if it, other clubs have that mentality in rugby union I certainly don't think they have that mentality in football I think you're very you're very uh, you're an easily traded commodity yeah. you know you could, I mean, sounds very sounds very drastic but is this the modern day is this like a, a modern day slave trade I mean you're us trading you know footballers for 70 million against their will sending them to China they don't want to go I mean yes they can't so they might not they'd have to sign the contract but I mean these guys are young men they don't really know what they're doing half the time <laughs> so and when the alternative option is right you can go train with the kids every day and just do sprints all day yeah I mean like you say that I know it's drastic but your point is quite valid it's go here or you will literally well you're basically forcing somebody into a situation that will make them have depression if you're forcing them into um, playing the reserves do sprints all day train mm. on your own that kind of thing yeah. oh, that's complete isolation there's no fulfilment there's no yeah uh, yeah uh, really put it that way it sounds awful um, but I'm I being, guess I'm being kind of a little bit disingenuous I'm yeah. taking it to the extreme a bit but you get the point don't you like no I do um, I, I, I do think though there is an onus on the individual and there's no there's not much mental 
I'm, well, I've not known of any mental toughness training within football. I mean, you you spend five days a week training for your muscles, but they'll do nothing for their mind. Yet we all, I think, lay lay people who enjoy football will probably say, "Oh, it's all up there." Sorry, I'm pointing to my head. It's all the you know the, you know the top of your head, and that's probably reality. I mean, you, they're dips in form, they're dips. You know, it's a, a lot of sport or performance in any job, if it's not sport, is psychological. I've not really seen any psychological work at the clubs I've been at. Um, it's really something that's not discussed in England. You, you kind of still, you've still got that old-fashioned mentality of, well, you just go out there and try hard on the other person and try and smash them. It's quite an old-school sort of 80s male macho mentality. I was talking to um, a former footballer, uh, Drew Broughton's name is, and um, he's actually now... Um, sports psychologist and he mm. works with individual players and mm. um, players kind of come to him and hire him and he'll go all over the place and work with them um, and from his perspective what, what he's basically saying is that it's up to those players to kind of go out and find people like him who are willing to help with the kind of mental side of it um, he's saying people, a lot of these players are so that their mental fatigue and their mental situation is so bad that but the clubs just aren't doing anything about it. It's down to external people. Like they're having to go out and hire somebody. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tough position for a young footballer particularly, which is a lot of what he works with, to go out and make that decision, look, I've got a problem, I need to find somebody to help with that. Yeah, it is. I think clubs could do better, but I'm wary of just putting all the onus on the club because I think... The individual needs to take some responsibility as well, um, and people tend not to. And this isn't just uh, from my day job as a GP; it's the same thing. You know, people tend to not make the steps to help themselves, uh, and it's probably because we don't talk about it enough as a country, or you know, in schools or adverts or TV programs, or it's not something that's really talked about much. Um, because the, really, people will make the best. People will throw themselves wholeheartedly into a situation if they've made, if they've made the decision to, to go for that. So if they've made the decision... I imagine if we were saying to players, right, you have to see the psychologist, they might not get enough out of it because they'll think, oh, well, I've just got to see him, I'm going to turn up, do the bare minimum. If you go off your own back and find them, you'll probably throw everything into it because you'll think, right, I need this. Um, and that's an issue. And I think a big issue in football is... A lot of these players, are, um, Matthew Syed described it as infantilised, I think if that's even a word. These guys are tr- treated like children, and that doesn't stop. Everything's done for them. Absolutely everything. They've got no life skills to fall back on, because they don't have to think about what meals they make themselves, who pays the bills, who does this, who gets me my boots. Everything's done for them, whether it's an agent, whether it's a member of the club. And I think from a life skill point of view, we are setting a lot of men up for a fall. And that could be the guy who's had a great career and retires when he's 40. He will still have depression because he will come out and think, right, I've been institutionalised, what do I do now? It's almost like coming out of prison. Yeah. Like, Will he know how to pay his bills? Will he know how to do everyday things? Will he know what to fill his time up with when he's not training? No. But these guys don't have to feel, think for themselves. And I think that's a big, big issue. And I'm wary of just saying that's the club's fault. I think it's a societal issue as well, um, but that is for me that's the crux of the matter. I think these kids are treated, these kids, I think these people are treated like children. Mm. Uh, that's a fair point, and there's been, there's been countless footballers that have come out post retirement 
um, even a few years later, um, Dean Windass was one and said when he retired he didn't know what to do I mean he played until he was 41, 42 which I, th- I think was just trying to prolong mm. that situation because it's all he knew how to do mm. and he said he was just waking up every day and he didn't know what to do with his day because he was so used to just getting up going to training and that was his routine for mm. 25 years that's all he knew Yeah. so when, when that ended he lost his social interaction he, he lost everything and he, he he fell into depression. I think he actually attempted suicide at some point. Right, okay. Um, and there's, there's, there's several cases that have seen like that. And I, I think you're right. It's Maybe the onus is on both parties and it's a societal issue that we kind of let happen. But these are adults at the end of the day, aren't they? They're... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a real extreme. It's like the extreme end of the spectrum of football yeah. club, isn't it? Um, so... They could they do more? Could they have I don't know taste the days where they throw players out to different scenarios and different environments so they can get a taste for other bits of life? I don't know. I mean, the onus is on training. You know, God forbid you miss an hour of training, five minutes of training. So it kind of everything short term, everything short term. It's everything sold this Saturday, that Saturday, the Saturday coming. And no one's looking long term to think, oh, when I when I stop, what will I do? Yeah. It's cyclical, so. though, isn't it? It's like we were just saying, they're commodities that are traded. The players rarely stay at a football club longer than two, three years at most. Probably now. Like, yeah. Right, right. That's about, unless you're at the kind of top level, if you're Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, mm. and you've hit like, the ceiling of where mm. you're at, you're mm. not going to leave, obviously. But... Other than that, they, they only last two or three years, so I guess everything's short term, there's no focus on the, mm. what happens in three years when XYZ happens as well, what happens on Saturday when we go to Liverpool's game, let's get this extra hour of training. Um, I do I do wonder, I mean I know there was the German keeper who committed suicide in front of a train, yeah, but I do wonder whether certain, it would be, int- be fascinating to know whether certain countries you have better educational programmes in place, do they have less rates of depression? Because I do feel like we're not equipping these young men with much, much life skill. Because not all of them are going to make it. And even the ones who do, as I said before, it's a weird existence. It's not as glamorous as it sounds. You know, getting back really late, not seeing family, the monotony of training. Um, Are we equipping them properly? I mean, you look at the American system where it's done through education, isn't it? The sports mm. system, and then they're kind of drafted in at. I know that's a very different system, but you'd imagine that through that, like you say, you get more educated individuals and more well rounded, more skills. Maybe there is a correlation, I don't know. I'd, it would <laughs> it'd probably be a lot of work to find mm. find out the kind of the real statistics in that, but certainly in this country, the statistics for depression in men who mm. don't talk about it is mm. just absolutely staggering yeah. and as a wider society level never mind just football there was a, um, a study that FIFPRO did the, um, the World Football Union um, a couple of years ago that said one in four footballers that they surveyed out of 3,000 was worldwide professional footballers at a certain level admitted that they'd experienced they'd suffered with either depression or anxiety in the last four years but I mean you could probably count on one hand the amount of professional footballers that have actually talked about it 
yeah. um, from chatting to other people that there seems to be an issue where certainly ex-professionals said this they were afraid that if they mentioned it that it would be like a black mark against their name yeah I think everyone's always worried about selection in the back of everyone's mind there is selection and what will the manager think um, and it's a uh, I mean, it's an odd environment, football, because I find it more macho than rugby uh, in the dressing room. And I wonder whether that's educational. I wonder whether that's because in rugby, maybe your masculinity isn't in question because, you know, you are going to... It's a very physical game. Whereas in football, if you're trying to win your side a free kick, you might add some dramatics or, you know... it's not uh, as simple as you just trying to out muscle or out fight the individual so maybe that masculinity comes through to the fore elsewhere in the dressing room comments attitudes um, so I find it I mean uh, I, f- I found rugby league a different environment yeah that's, that's probably a fair point and there's always seems to be this issue with football that match environment and for some reason that seems to mean that people can't discuss these kind of issues. I mean, it's a societal issue in general. People tend not to, especially men, just don't talk about their issues. And that's mm. why, for men under the age of 45, suicide is the biggest cause of death. Yeah, which is outrageous, really. Absolutely staggering. How that is not more widely publicised and why there isn't more kind of research to that, I don't know. But that, that's, that's a wider issue. But, yeah, I don't it's a funny one, football being so much on, like you say, when you've got rugby, which doesn't seem as... People certainly seem more open and willing to... Well, I think you've got less to prove, because when you put your body on the line in front of your colleagues like that, maybe there's less in question. Whereas in football, um, I, I don't know. I'd love to know what goes through players' minds. You know, I'm saying this, but I don't know what goes through their minds, but... I don't know whether they're worrying about, you know, what do my colleagues think, what does my manager think, what does the media think, you know, I don't know. It's uh, And there's obviously a lot of, there's a lot of coverage. And that will conclude part one of my discussion with Rahul Lakara, but we will be bringing part two in the next episode, so please keep your eyes out for that. And thank you very much once again for listening to Speaking Out, Mental Health and Football. Yeah.